Good night and welcome to Milkshake Monday, episode 161, when the scales fall off growth. Now, before we start, I wanted to give a small testimony. In the last few weeks, I have had the opportunity to read my husband's journals. And I wanted to share something with you, especially since we're going to talk about growth and there are things in our lives. The William or the Bill Helm that was a young 20-year-old or even probably a young 30-year-old, when I read the journals of who that young man was, it, it, I can see the remnants of my William who was in his late 30s, early 40s when we met. Just like some people who may have known me in high school and college, if they see the 54-year-old Anita now, they see the remnants of what they may have known as that young girl. But we all grow and change, and we recognize that. That's a part of all of our growing processes. Well, in one of these journals, which was written probably in early 1990s, maybe 1991-92, I was reading as that young William Helm, Bill Helm as they called him, was contemplating what he desired in his heart and what he sought the Lord for as far as somebody who would be a companion for him. But yet he kind of relegated that that wasn't going to be a part of his journey and that he believed that the Lord was going to allow him in his ministry to proclaim Jesus for him to be alone. And he would never find that woman that he would be able to listen or be a partner with him in companionship and the likes of what a wife or helpmeet would be. So in seeing his talking in this journal from 1991 to 1992, I saw the ebbs and flow of that understanding in his thoughts of what that was going to be. That's not any kind of bragging about me, but I want you to appreciate something. That was in 1991-92. I did not meet William Helm until 1995, and even then I didn't meet him in the capacity of man and woman. I met him because he was the pastor of my mother's church, and I was in the midst of a separation and it ended up to being a divorce, but I didn't know that in 1995, and I certainly wasn't looking at him in that capacity. Well, we didn't eventually marry until 1998. So I want you to see that from 1991-92 to 1998, that's a long period of time. And there are times where we think we understand the plan, the movement, the development of what God's divine plan is, but we don't. We, we think we understand it. And that's why it's so important for us to be prayerful and just wait. Because God manifests his plan over his timing, his purposes, his, his ultimate involvement of what he wants to have happen. And as we got married in 98 and we were together for almost 25 years, we often said to one another that we really could not have met and been together in any other time because we're nine years apart. And if I come into his life too early, it would have been creepy because I could I was a child and he couldn't have met me as, as that young child. And if I come into a different phase of his life, it, it just never would have worked. And if I come in really late in life, we never would have had faith. So God orchestrated the event of us meeting an Illinois boy and a Virginia girl meeting at the time that he set the time that he had designated for us to meet. And I say that because there are things and prayers on your altar that they may be in the plan of God 
but not on your timeline. And I say that for an encouraging word, even after the death of William Helm and August 2nd of 2021, I had been praying for a friend, a female friend in my neighborhood. And I thought I knew who that was going to be because some, some woman uh, just happened to buy a house three doors up. And I said, oh, this has got to be my friend. Didn't work out. The friend that God has called, we got introduced uh, this Thursday. No, I take it back this Friday. And as she was saying to me, she said, I've been praying to God for my Elijah. I, she was Elisha, but she said her Elijah in her life, that mentor, that Christian woman had died two years ago. And she said, Lord, where's my Elijah? And we're right across the street from one another. So I say that because I had been praying and William, I just happened to post, uh, something this week where it was a three-year memory on Facebook and it was Reverend Watts and Reverend Helm speaking and Reverend Helm was teaching on a topic and he happened to reflect on something about us getting married but then he started talking about his teaching and he started talking about call on God well I was broke I'm, I'm broken I can tell you God is putting together like the potters uh there's a song called the potter's house and there are times where the, the sorrow in my heart and the brokenness of losing my husband come. And I just, I remember William saying, call on God. And I, when I found myself calling on God that Friday. I said, I, I, I am, I'm sad. And I, I, I just asked God and I started calling on God. I said, God, I'm calling you. And I went to the scriptures and I started reading aloud in my tears, reading Psalm 90. And I went to Psalm 139 and I'm calling. And all of a sudden I realized the dog is not here. And I said, where's the dog? Long story short, I end up knowing the dog wants to go outside. And then as I'm outside, this woman comes across the street. And we talk for an hour, and I find out she's a believer, and she's been seeking to have a Christian friend. And I said, I got to tell you, I got to witness to God, because God has answered a prayer. And he, she said, he's answered my prayer too. And I said, hallelujah, God. So I just wanted to tell you that, because I know there's a lot going on with people. I know that people are grieving, not just me, people, our congregation, people are suffering, they're confused, they're at uneven footing in their lives. But I just want you to know, wait on God, trust him, because there's something that he has in store at his own timing, at his own plan, and it'll all work out for our development. It says, he that began a good work is able to complete it, and he will, he will in God's name. So tonight, we're going to be in Acts chapter 9, and I'm going to read the King James, I mean, the New Living Translation version and the King James version, because there's something I want you to understand of that story regarding when you find Saul, who's a persecutor of the Christian way. And you've seen that road to Damascus story and you've heard it. But I want you to understand that when Paul has that encounter with Jesus Christ, he's, he, he falls off of that horse that he's riding on. And something physically happens to him, spiritually happens to him, but physically happens to him. And you're going to see in these scriptures that when he got off of the horse, he fell because of the bright light in Christ talking to him. But when he got up, he recognized that there had been a change. He went down on the ground as a seeing man. He got up 
off of the ground as a man that could not see. He was blinded. And there are times in our lives that we go down and we go down one way, but when we come up, we're changed. And we're not sure how long the change is going to be. The change is disorienting. And you're going to see in these scriptures that he lost his sight to the point that the people who were with him, who didn't hear, the, they heard, but they, they, couldn't, they couldn't really understand the voice, but they couldn't see what was going on. They couldn't understand what was going on. So I want you to see what happens here. Let's start at verse 6. Acts chapter 9, verse 6. I'm reading right now out of the New Living Translation. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. This is Christ talking to Saul, who is going to be Paul. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, that means his eyes were closed, he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Pause for a second. You were a seeing man. You were a seeing man that had the letters from the chief priest to go and persecute the Christian way, the way as they were called. People following Christ and Christ has gotten an encounter with you. And you're blind. When he said get up and go into the city, he didn't say anything about his blindness. He didn't say anything at that moment in time. If that blindness was permanent, all Paul knew is that he was not able to see. And people had to lead him to Damascus. And for three days, he was blind. Now, for some of us, when we find ourselves in these situations that we're totally discombobulated, off kilter, messed up, wrecked up, on our face, splat. We don't know when it's going to end. We don't, sometimes we don't even know how did we get there. But here he has three days of blindness and he's not eating, he's not drinking. He is, he's upside down gang. He's not sure what's going on. But I want you to see in those three days what was happening. In those three days, we don't have to guess what was happening because Christ is going to ex examine what he was doing in the life of Paul, who is now Saul. He's not transformed to Paul. He was, he was at a place where he thought he knew what he's doing. Before he fell off that horse, he thought he was in the right side of this fight. And he was fighting against Christ. But he's found that he's been knocked off the horse derailed off of this journey and this path that he was going and now he's blind and some of us are going through that wide gate kicking it having parties and God is wooing us through the Holy Spirit and some of you are falling off of that horse because there's some bad times drug addiction alcoholism you're broke your relationships are torn up from the floor up everything is falling apart losing 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 devastation devastation and God is getting your attention and he's trying to reorient you. But look what happens here. Let's start at verse 10. 
Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. Now I want y'all to see because I'm doing a, a play on vision and sight. Paul is blind. He cannot see. He's blind for three days and he's not eating and drinking. Ananias, who still has his vision, is asleep and God is giving him a vision. Now, it says here, verse 11, the Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. So when I told you, we're getting insight of what's happening to Saul as he's blind. He didn't just stay blind. He had an encounter with Jesus Christ who told him, you're persecuting me. And in the midst of him being blind, sitting where he's sitting, where God is saying, you need to go here. And those companions have brought him there. Do you see what Christ says? He, Saul, is praying to me right now. When God gets your attention, you start praying. And I used to hear my husband talk about when people, who's praying the most? Somebody who's three payments behind on the mortgage or three payments behind on the carnage, who's going through sickness and disease. Who's praying the most? The person who's lying flat on their back in the hospital. Who's praying the most? The person that has that, that sorrow because somebody's just died in their family. Who's praying the most? Because you got a wayward husband, a wayward child. Who's praying the most? Well, Paul is blind. Because his life is upside down right now. And he can't even see. But Christ says. He's praying to, he's praying to me right now. Verse 12. I have shown. Now here's this vision again. Saul is blind. But here Christ is saying. I have shown him a vision of a man. Now that's why I want y'all to hear something. In the midst of our growing in Christ. We always think that we know how Christ is going to speak to us, how he's going to lead, how he's going to develop us, how he's going to grow us. But in this instance, Paul, Saul at the time can't see, but yet Christ is showing him a vision. There's prayer. There's, he's not eating and drinking. So he's fasting, but here he's praying while he's fasting. And what is Christ doing? He's showing him a vision. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias, coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. Remember I said when he fell off the horse, woke up blind, Christ just says, go. I need you to go and you be there. He didn't tell him anything about, I'm going to give you your sight back or you're going to be blind for the rest of the life. But while he's praying and God is speaking to him in a vision, He's saying, I'm going to give you your sight back and I'm going to tell you how it's going to happen. I'm going to tell you the man who's going to come see you and what his name is going to be. And you will have your sight restored. There are things that are happening in our lives. Just like that example of what William Helm thought. He was not right in what he thought. He loved God, but he believed that God was going to leave him alone. For the rest of his life so he can go and proclaim the name of Christ. But that wasn't God's plan. Saul didn't know what this plan was from this Jesus who just encountered him on the road to Damascus. But in his prayer life, his praying, he was a Pharisee. 
He was praying to this Jesus that he just had this encounter with. He was just on the opposite side of being antagonistic, dragging women and children and men out of their homes against this way. But now he's praying to Christ. And now Christ is talking to him in a vision and saying, I'm going to restore what you've lost. Guess what? I made you lose that sight. But I made you lose that sight for you to awaken with a vision that was beyond eyesight, natural ability to have 2020. I want you to see in the spiritual realm of what I'm planning to do with your life. And some of us are so focused on the sight of 2020 that we don't listen to God to have the discernment of the spiritual sight he wants us to have for the spiritual things of the eternal plan, the divine plan. So this is what it says. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen. Now I jumped to a scripture. I went to 15. Because in between what Ananias was hearing, he had to push back because he said, I've heard about this guy. But this is where verse 15 says, But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show. Showing is not always about vision in the eyesight. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. In that vision of seeing Ananias, you, we don't know what God showed Saul. But he says to him, this Ananias, his believing disciple, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So verse 17 says, So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, there's already a change because at first he was enemy Saul. He was the person he'd heard of, but now he's heard from Jesus Christ through a vision. This is my chosen instrument. This is my chosen vessel. So he's not just Saul. He's not the persecuting Saul anymore. He is Brother Saul. And some people look at you and they remember what you used to be. The old remnants of your old past. But they have to understand that Jesus has picked you up. Changed you. Your eyes, spiritual eyes are now open. And now you are a brother or sister. You're not that old self. You've had that born again experience. Saul could see, but he wasn't seeing. But he went blind and that's when he got to see what thus saith the Lord in the vision of what Christ was going to do in his life. So this scripture says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain. Now, when he regains your sight, he's going to see spiritual things. He's going to want to live in the spiritual realm now, not all in this natural realm. Realm. It says that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, verse 18 says, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. When the scales fall off of your eyes, and I mean literally, spiritually, and intensively, that the Spirit of God, when He comes upon your heart and your soul and the spiritual awakening 
of your eyes and the spiritual discernment of what the word of God and the Holy Spirit will give to you. I'm not talking 2020. If you think I'm talking about 2020 vision, wake up, grow up. Take your carnal mind off of this and listen to what the Holy Spirit wants to say. He wants us to start seeing with spiritual eyes of discernment with the Holy Spirit because there are people that God is putting in our path. And we think it's a coincidence. We think that we can look over there and see that woman crying, see the redness in her eyes and just walk on past. And the Spirit is saying, you need to minister to her. You see that boy with his darn pants living up. And instead of looking at him, I'm going to tell him how he got to put his pants up and just crap on him, crap on him, crap on him. Maybe nobody's ever told him how much he's loved and how much value he has in who he is. That him not having a college degree doesn't make him worthless. Him not having a job doesn't make him inadequate. Tell him who he is in Christ. But see, you have to have the heart. This, like God says, man sees the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. If we would start to have that spiritual discerning eye and that heart and that mind of Christ, we will start to see the men and women, boys and girls that he's put in our path and see them for who God sees them. We want to always look at the remnants of the outward appearance instead of looking at the heart. And this word on verse 19 says, afterward, no, let me go back. Saul's eyes. The scales fell off of Saul's eyes and he gained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. But look what happens in his growth after those scales come off. He not only received the Holy Spirit at that time, he ate some food and got his strength. He got baptized. But look at what verse 19 goes on into. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. He wanted that fellowship. He wanted to learn and hear what they had to say about Jesus Christ and to learn of him. Verse 20 is a key about our growth. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is indeed the son of God. Now, Albany and Broderick, um, I often say something to them. They said, you keep picking us on us about this subject. I'm not picking on them. I'm being sensitive of something. The big churches, the little churches, the in-between churches. I don't care the size. I really don't care about the size. We are spending a lot of time in meetings, meetings, another meeting after the meeting that we just had. Meetings, 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 meetings about the fish tank. With the fish already in the tank. What I am trying to say in a nice way. The Lord has called us to share who Jesus Christ is and go out. Meetings, meetings, meetings about the money, money, money. About the buildings, buildings, buildings. About the programs, programs, programs. The fish that are already caught. The, the, the disciples. The people who say they love Christ. Us Christians, the meetings are not evangelism. And it sounds good that we're having a meeting about all these things that we say that are so important in organization and all that stuff. God is in decency and order. We all know that. But when are we going to have the outreach to go talk to those people at 
Safeway and Walmart and out there at the Best Buy. And when are we going to get out into the neighborhoods and say, it really does annoy me when I see Mormon two by twos and I see Jehovah Witnesses two by twos. But where are the disciples of Jesus Christ? We're in our meetings. We have a seven o'clock meeting before we go to the four o'clock meeting the next day to talk about the Saturday meeting at the two o'clock meeting. And then meetings, meetings, meetings. We need to have an annual meeting. We need to have a semi-quarterly meeting. We have to have another meeting. Help me, Holy Ghost. When are the Christians going to talk about Jesus Christ? But we can always say about our meetings and oh, please come to our program. We got to transition to what else God talked to me about this week. He gave me the scripture, we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes. But when I always have heard that scripture, now you got to understand I'm a grieving widow. So there's things coming to me for Milkshake Monday. There's things coming to me to edify me. You all are praying and thanks be to God that you are because I have a peace. I cry and I mourn. I, I, I really am leaning into to going to that place for God to heal my broken heart. I, I'm telling you all that. But your prayers are have given me such peace. When I have the scripture, we walk by faith, not by sight. This is as I'm preparing for when the scales fall off. I thought that God was saying, because I'd always thought when it came to the scripture, it's about make sure you are spiritually looking at things and understand God's divine plan versus the natural. And But God brought my understanding when I saw this scripture. And I'm reading it out of the King James Version. And then I'll, I'll show it to you in the Living Version. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1-9 through 9 talks about... You know, I know where William is, right? That part of me understands it. Many of us as Christians, we know to be absent from the body, to be present for the Lord. We know this scripture. We know it. Pastor Carter, you know it. Pam, y'all know it. You know it, Needy. We know it. We've heard it. But when that loved one dies, I can go to Revelation to comfort myself in chapter 21. I can do the reading of these scriptures to kind of reinforce stuff. But what God was showing me, and I was walking in the pool and I'm going and I'm for an hour, I'm going back. We walk by faith, not by sight. Well, what are you trying to tell me, God? What, what, about, what don't I understand that you're trying to tell me? So when I went to the beginning of chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, now 7 through 9 gets into the we walk by faith, not by sight. But, but I've always been taught, Reverend said, always go to the beginning and the end and go before the chapter and after the chapter. So when I went to that beginning of that chapter, I started seeing something and it was talking about our bodies, but this natural body and that celestial body. And I started thinking about what's going on in heaven with William and all the loved ones in the past and the things going on. And, and But then I started looking at, well, look at the fact that he's having this conversation about these natural body and the celestial bodies and what's going on in heaven. And then he goes, we walk by faith, not by sight. Now the King James version says this expression, but when I go to the living, I want y'all to see what it says in the living. But let me read the scriptures so you can hear it for yourself. In the King James version, it says, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house 
not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so, be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. So I'm like, okay. I'm, I'm reading this, but I'm saying, okay, where's what I was thinking about? We walk, we walk by faith, not by sight. I was like, what's this have to do? With it? I'm trying to figure it out. But then I go to verse four. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan. That's the active. We do groan. Being burdened. And at the, at the house of worship this week, I heard people burdened. Burdened with grief. Burdened with sorrow. Burdened with dis. Just feel like things are coming on them so fast. Burden, groaning. Like this is a lot going on, God. Children losing their father. People being shot. People losing their brother. All this stuff going on. People in prison. All this stuff going on. We are actively in groaning mode and burden, right? So this scripture, verse 4 says, we, For we that are in this tabernacle, in this earthly body we got, do groan, being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now, I got to tell you, I'm not saying names. It is many people who have said when they come close to death, I don't want to die. That's not something uncommon to anybody. But a lot of people, as they get closer to death, whether they're sickly or something has happened immediately and they've gone from being well to the car accident or the gunshot wound, they don't want to die. But when we talk a good game, we say, oh, to be absent from the body is to be present in the Lord. I just want to be with glory. But when it gets closer, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, wait, can I get a pill? Can you give me a shot? Can you give me a surgery? Can I stay a little longer? But here's verse 5. Now he that hath wrought us for the self-same thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. And then you get to this scripture. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Maybe that is clear to you. But for those who are joining Milkshake Monday, that this is new, it all doesn't all work together unless you ask the Holy Spirit for understanding. Verse 8 says, We're confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We all throw that around. But he just said before, for we walk by faith, not by sight. But he just talked about us and having earthly bodies versus celestial bodies us, the heavenlies, and all this stuff. And so you get the scripture, it's like, well, how does that all fit in? Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Now look at the living Bible, because it's a little clearer. It won't say we walk by faith, not by sight. But when I get to verse seven, I will let you know what it says. So maybe it will be understood a little better. The reason why I'm saying this is because Paul gets to the point, if you've got to read his epistles, where he says, I've learned to be content. He's gone through an experience where he was an enemy of Christ. Christ has just given him this spiritual awakening in this vision of an Ananias coming to him and also shown him what he must suffer for the Lord's namesake. He's been baptized. The Holy Spirit has come upon him. He's with believers. He's going to be proclaiming to the Gentiles. But he's going through a lot of things. 
And he says in his epistles that he's learned to be content. And he also says that he would, that he would go, but he knows that he has to do the work. He wants to finish the race. But yet we have the scriptures in second Corinthians. So let's look at these same scriptures in the living Bible. I'm running out of time. Verse five. I mean, chapter five, verse one, excuse me. For we know that when this tent we live in now is taken down, that's when we die. When we die, and leave these bodies, we will have a wonderful, we will have wonderful new bodies in heaven, homes that will be ours forever, made for us by God himself and not by human hands. How weary we grow of our present bodies. That is why we look forward eagerly to the day when we shall have heavenly bodies, that we shall put on like new clothes. For we shall not be merely spirits without bodies. These earthly bodies make us groan and sigh. But we wouldn't like to think of dying and having no bodies at all. We want to slip into our new bodies so that these dying bodies will, as it were, be swallowed up by the everlasting life. This is what God has prepared for us. And as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. Verse 6. Now we look forward with confidence to our heavenly bodies, realizing that every moment we spend in these earthly bodies is time spent away from my eternal home in heaven with Jesus. Now here's verse seven, the we walk by faith, not by sight in King James, but this is the living translation. Verse seven, we know these things are true by believing, not by seeing. We walk by faith, not by sight. It's us believing in what the Lord's promises are about the now of this natural plane versus the eternal of the supernatural plane. That when we are leaving these old clothes and these bodies that are decaying and we go to be with the Lord who says in, in John 14, he's going to prepare a place that we can know that we're believing and believing God's word is true, that we don't have to have our heads hung down, that we don't have to keep our eyes on the natural plane all the time because God is saying you can believe his word is true. His word is true. And no matter the aches and pains in your body, sister Lillian, or the aches and pains in all of our bodies that we may have, or the suffering and the groaning of the suffering of this person being gone, this person being hurt, this person being uh, wayward, all of that, we can believe in Christ's word, his truth. And we can understand that we're going to believe not what we see, but what we know of who God is. And this verse says in verse 8, and we are not afraid, but are quite content to die. For then we will be at home. Do y'all hear that? With the Lord. So our aim is to please him always in everything we do, whether we are here in this body or away from this body and with him in heaven. Now, the living made it easier to understand. My last scripture. I have been... This is part of my testimony as well. God is helping me to understand that this natural plane is temporary. That even in the loss of what has happened with Reverend Helm changing addresses from this natural clothed body that we read in, in 2 Corinthians. He's got his 
his spiritual glorified body with his new name. He's in heaven praising Christ around. He can see God and live. He can be in the presence of holiness because of the blood of Jesus Christ that has cleansed him of all that unrighteousness that all of us have. Now, John 15, I have to say, is my last part of my testimony tonight. John 15, verse 1 says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. What a gardener. The father is the gardener and Christ is the vine. I'm reading the living translation so you can hear this. The gardener, our father, our almighty God, Verse 2 says, he lops off every branch that doesn't produce. Chops it, gone, lops off. And this is what the rest of that says. And he prunes those branches that bear fruit for even larger crops. I have had the opportunity, when I'm not sad and sorrowful about the William Helm loss of my friend and my husband and my confidant I put my head up and I see what God is starting to do in my life I have had the opportunity to meet more people that I have never spoke to before to share Jesus Christ to share a testimony of faith in him to share the truth of God's word to people who are suffering, who may have lost people or just people that come in my path, my neighbors. I've talked to more people on the street. They've been here to exchange dialogue where I can introduce the seed of God's word. People that I was thinking the other day, I said my life had become go to the doctor, stay with the doctor, care for William. And I would have done that for 20 more years. I would have stayed with William Helm, every doctor appointment, every procedure, everybody. And I would have witnessed to the nurses and the staff and all those people. But God wanted to take him out of that body that was suffering and groaning and sighing. Take him to glory so he can hear what thus saith the Lord real time. And do whatever God has for him to do in heaven. But he also wanted my journey to change. And this scripture that says the gardener, which is the father, it's in his divine plan and will. That's like I didn't know in 1998 that William Helm and I would marry. Just like William didn't know in, in 1992 that he wouldn't be alone. I don't know what this phase of this journey, but God has said he prunes. And prunes means cutting. He prunes those branches that bear fruit for even larger crops. I don't know what this season is going to be. But what I can trust is that the gardener and the vine who is Christ, they have something for the glory of God, for Jesus Christ to be glorified. And it hurts. Pruning is a painful process. And to lose my spouse is painful. To let my children not have their daddy is painful. To move next step to next step to next step because I'm not doing no jumps and leaps Every day, I thank God, I have to move on, take a foot forward. But I have to always come back to the fact of growth. That, yes, Saul was blind and he regained his sight. I will regain some life that God wants me to have after my loss of this husband, William Dallas Helm. 
but I believe that it's for the purpose of the larger crop. I believe that pruning is for me to have that exposure to talk to people who I wouldn't have talked to if I was still caregiving full time. That was my focus. I'm going to share Christ on Milkshake Monday. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to do whatever Reverend Hell needs. I'm going to take him doctor, 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 blood test, blood test, procedure, procedure. I'm going to be in this house, whatever he needs. God said, I can't get the message out of Christ. William Helm knows Christ, but my path wasn't to be just the caregiver and have that limited exposure. He wanted a bigger crop. He wanted people to be saved. And I say that for you to hear that I know you love mama. I know you miss your brother. I know you miss your daddies and your relatives and all these loved ones, sons, daughters, cousins, friends. We all understand grief. All of us experience it differently. But God wants us to move forward. You're never going to leave the memories and the love and those experiences. But you have to continue, even in the pruning of the pain. He says, and he prunes those branches that bear fruit for even larger crops. He has already tended you by pruning you back for greater strength and usefulness by means of the commands I gave you. Take care to live in me and let me live in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit when severed from the vine, nor can you be fruitful apart from me. Stay grafted in the word. Stay in Christ as you go through the pruning and the pain. But stay because he says he's tended you. He's looked at you carefully in your life. He sees your heart. He sees that you want to share who Christ Jesus is. And yes, what's happened? Mama gone, son gone, everybody gone, daddy gone. It hurts. And you're going to mourn. But you got to stay grafted in the vine. Let him produce more fruit and crops. Use that pain to go and share with others to encourage them. How did you get through? I got through because I held on to Christ's hand. I got through because I kept praying. I got through because I kept studying his word. I kept leaning on the Holy Spirit to comfort me. Make it your testimony for your growth. As your scales of your pain fall off, seek Christ. Seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Everything that you have need of, even in your season of pain and grief and suffering, let him heal you. But know that one day God is going to take these old clothes off, this old tent. We're going to put it in the ground, burned up. It's going to be ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And you're going to be able to go and you're going to see Christ. You're going to be around the almighty God, the gardener. And he, you want to hear him say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Don't you? And I know it, it's not easy. I'm not trying to make anybody think it's easy. Don't think that the makeup or the hair. I cry. I cry today. I wipe my tears. But I say, Nita, come on now. Come on now, girl. Pruning hurts. But let's go do the message of God. That's what's important. Glorify the name of Jesus. The harvest is ripe, saints. But the laborers are few. Let's get off the carpet and let's ask God to give us that strength and go share the message of Christ to all that we know. Love you. God bless you. God bless you.